Amen. It is good to be together. I felt like this has been a winner of a week. We had a great tribe meeting this week where a bunch of families gathered for an outdoor kind of social. And then we had this amazing drive through. And what I realized is the effects of, of COVID and quarantine, I believe, are so emotionally but subtly exhausting that you don't realize how much you miss being in a social setting. And so it's good to be together. Uh, it's good to see you here. Uh, we're continuing on in a series through the Psalms, um, particularly Psalm 120 through 134 is the Psalms of Ascent. It, it speaks of the people of God on a pilgrimage, a journey towards the presence of God. Now, when it was written, it was literally songs that they would sing to prepare their hearts to be at this great kind of climactic festival. We're looking today at Psalm 129, and I'm going to encourage you, if you have your Bibles, to just open up there. We'll have the scripture in the chat section so you can follow along as well, but you might want to jot a couple of notes. But before we get there, let me just ask you a couple of thought questions, uh, because I feel like when we read scripture, it's really easy to read scripture like a historical account. And so we tend to put it in a category of them and there and back then. But what's interesting, what's um, inspiring is when you read scripture for here and now and us, and, and their story is also our story. So let me just ask you a few thought questions. And the first question is, is what are the things that you have started and never completed? Do you have a couple of things that that maybe were on your list that you always wanted to begin? Do you have anything on your list that you never completed? Um, I don't know how many of you started out as a budding musician. Did anyone start out but really never learned the instrument, right? You just show of hands, click, I just like, yes, that's me. How about, how about learning a language? You're like, oh, I wish I would have learned that. It would have been so helpful. I would have really enjoyed that. I just didn't like my teacher or I just wasn't motivated. What about finishing a degree? Uh, anyone start out studying and never actually complete the degree? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of kind of first bursts in our history. There's a lot of good intentions in our past. What about um, those of you who wish you were more handy and you never actually learned how to like fix stuff. And so now you're left to sort of just who's on speed dial, good friends or a, a series of contractors that you can call on. <laughs> or, or what about the, a better cook? Man, I just, I'm tired of eating the same stuff and it all tasting kind of the same. I'm, we need to go out again because I want to have a different flavor in my mouth. There are things that I think we've all begun and never completed. There's all things that we had aspirational desires for and never followed through on. So let me ask you another question. Who comes to mind when you think of follow through? When you think of perseverance? When you think of overcoming? When you think of patience and stick to -itiveness? Do you have people that come to mind because somehow they just set their mind to something and they did it? Now, do you have people in mind that would also associate their work ethic, their commitment, their stick to to a faith? Are those people of faith that come to mind? Because those are the kinds of things that we need to think about as we consider 
perseverance. And Psalm 129 is all about the people of God growing in perseverance, which if we're not careful, has a way of sounding like it's all on me to just try harder. But I want to set it up with these two words. Perseverance is the first word, and then eventually we'll talk about persecution, because I think those two things go hand and hand. The first illustration I would give about perseverance is about an, in, uh, a young 16-year-old dropout. This dropout of high school was in 1966. And just with the help of a friend, he started selling, um, he started a little magazine in the basement of a church in England. And um, it was a magazine kind of for youth and college. Uh, and he made money by selling ads. If he wasn't going to go to school, he realized, I got to start and be somewhat of an entrepreneur. And so he went to local businesses and he ran the operation out of this church basement. Four years later, he was looking for ways to grow his small magazine and he started selling mail order records. You know, those vinyls that are like hipster cool today. Those were the thing of the day back in the, back in the sixties and early seventies. And so he found a bunch of students who just bought records from the magazine. Well, the records sold so well that he had an idea that he opened his first, not only record shop, but in the shop, he started a label and a studio. Well, he began recording local artists in England out of this studio. And one guy was, was the name of Mike Oldfield. I don't know how many of you are familiar with Mike Oldfield, but he went on to write a really popular, really hit song called Tubular Bells. It sold over 16 million copies. And over the next decade, this young entrepreneur, this high school dropout, um, grew his record label and he began adding bands like, oh, Culture Club, The Sex Pistols, and a small act by the name of The Rolling Stones. You could Google them. They've gotten kind of popular over the years. And along the way, he just continued to start other businesses. He, he started an airline business. He started a train business. He got into you know, transportation, then a mobile phone carrier. And almost 50 years later, um, there's now un like 400 companies under his direction. That young dropout who kept starting things despite his inexperience, despite his lack of knowledge, is a billionaire. His name is Sir Richard Branson. You've probably heard of him today. And so these two words go hand in hand. There is in all of us an ability to persevere, some greater than others. In fact, don't you and I kind of look at people with amazing talent or maybe amazing opportunities and wonder why aren't they doing more with it? And it kind of grieves us. We kind of cringe over it. But all of us have the ability to persevere. But we are all living in a country at a time where perseverance is required. That's part of the American dream. That's inherent in our DNA in this capitalistic society. We're also living where we're having to face varying levels of shame, intimidation, harassment, and, and at least for some, oppression. Now, religious persecution isn't something that we often relate to since our country was founded on religious freedoms. But we all relate to some level of struggle, some level of opposition. 
But religious persecution isn't just a biblical thing that we read about back then. Something that the Jews faced because of Rome, or the Jews faced because of Egypt, or the Jews faced because of Babylon. No, actually, religious persecution is alive and well, and the struggle is as current as ever. So I want to illustrate the idea of persecution. And recently, this week, I, wrote a, I read an article out of the National Review, and it was a talking about the attempted shutdown of China's Christians. In fact, there's a couple of articles I just want to share with you. In Beijing, pastors and priests are being now forced. This is today. This isn't their story like way back when in the Bible. This is today where the whole Christian movement in the world's largest country is being muted and suppressed. These pastors and priests are being forced to base their sermon on President Xi Jinping's sayings. And in a world distracted by the pandemic, China's Communist Party's government is aggressively asserting this sort of dominance over tens of millions of Christians. Christians in the underground church have long been persecuted and highly restricted. But the current plan is this push to blend churches with the Communist Party. In fact, all churches, get this, those of you with kids, get this, all churches are prohibited from admitting minors, instructing them in Christianity and encouraging any of them to some kind of pastoral or priestly ministerial vocations, leaving the question in doubt of whether the faith will be transmitted to the next generation. Listen, if you're a parent and you want your kids to have a living faith, to have the kind of hope you have, you kind of rely on religious instruction until no one's allowed to bring in youth. So in a generation, the whole movement will die off. That puts all the onus on the religious or spiritual leadership on the parents. But during quarantine, from January to April of this year, the family church, because they're meeting in homes, in apartments, in, in, in house churches called the underground church, it's come to life in China, right? Persecution has a way of strengthening faith and the church throughout all of history. Now, many reports circulated around parents and their children enthusiastically reading the Bible aloud together, lighting candles and praying together in their homes. They're opening up maybe one Bible that one of them might have had. Local priests and pastors sent sermons through WeChat. It's an app, app online. And made occasional quiet home visits with trusted circles like our tribes to pray as long as they can avoid China's great firewall and government internet censorship. This is what's going on. The Daily Wire reported just a few months ago, communist officials in, in Liflin reported, called, they, they brought all of these local leaders from towns and villages for a meeting. And here's what they said. The participants were offered, were, excuse me, were ordered to remove crosses, religious symbols, and images from the homes of people of faith who receive social welfare payments. And they were to replace them with portraits of Chairman Mao and President Xi Jinping. And the officials were instructed to cancel all subsidies to those who would protest this order. And in an effort to get people to renounce the Christian faith, and the Washington Report, Post reported on this in 2017, saying this, Jesus Christ won't drag you out of poverty or cure your illnesses. 
but the Chinese Communist Party will. So take down those pictures of Christ and put up a nice photograph of the president. And one official said, many rural people are ignorant. They think God is their savior. After our troops go into their homes and do their work, they'll realize their mistakes and they'll think we should no longer rely on Jesus, but on the party for help. I don't know how that strikes you as a country in turmoil, as a country battling for rights and freedoms, to realize maybe how free we are and, in fact, what are we doing with those freedoms? Have you ever wondered how the church has been able to survive under persecution throughout the ages, in every century, in every decade? To varying levels of degree, but opposition has always confronted the church, and it's actually worked to the church's benefit. Why is it that the church has actually thrived under persecution? I would suggest, like we read last week out of Psalm 127, Unless the Lord builds a house, the laborers are in uh, the labors are in vain. Unless the Lord guards the city, the, the city remains exposed and vulnerable. It is only by the work of God that these things come to fruition. So if God wills the church to succeed, to thrive, doesn't matter about circumstances. And so here's the question I think you and I face as we dive into Psalm 129. This is what we face right now. Can you and I persevere for a faith that we believe in if we don't even experience that level of persecution? Or will we be lulled into complacency and simply thinking, I've got enough. I've got enough to worry about. I've got enough know-how to provide for myself. I've got enough education. I've got enough net worth. Or will we, for what we say we believe is true, be motivated, even though we're not figuring out, feeling, experiencing the same level of persecution? It brings my heart great joy to know that the church in China is thriving, even though the screws are being tightened. So let's dive into this, this passage out of Psalm 129, and I really want to make two statements today and, and, and two points um, that I want to unpack. And the first point is this, there is simply no growth without perseverance. Spiritually or otherwise, we will never grow without a sincere, concerted, intentional level of effort and stick to itiveness. Now, listen to what this psalm says, and this would have been sung as one of the reminders of people who are experiencing persecution, but excited about this great Christian festival. And they would be walking this long pilgrimage to get there. They would have sung this like we would have sung Christmas carols getting ready for the birth, the celebration of the birth of the Christ child. It says, they kicked me around ever since I was young. This is how Israel tells it. They've kicked me around ever since I was young, but they could never keep me down. Their plowmen plowed long furrows up and down my back, and then God ripped the harness is out of the evil plowmen to shreds. Ha! Are you kidding me? These are people who have it hard. They do not have it good. But as Americans who have inalienable rights, it's so hard for us to understand this level of persecution. 
but we can all agree that it's wrong. Persecution is always directed at the vulnerable, typically those without a voice. But what we're waking up to here and now is that for many people of color, the system of banking, the system of education, the system of district lines have largely been unjust and inequitable. And so whatever your class or your color or even your belief, we've all had to persevere for something we want, something we might even deserve, or something that we think is right. Now, Eugene Peterson would say it this way. He asks an important question. Do you think of Christian faith as a fragile style of life that can simply flourish when weather conditions are just right? Or do you see a hardy plant that can stick it out through the storm and the drought, surviving the trample of the careless feet and the attacks of the vandals? What is your view of faith? Maybe we could put it in sports terms. Are we simply fair weather fans that we make time for God when there's either crisis or convenience? Or is there a stick to because we're diving into God's word, we're seeking God's presence before the storm comes because we know it will? This is the kind of faith that the people of God who could celebrate regardless of circumstance, who could name their hope regardless of how they felt, have developed a, a, a sincere and yearning faith. So there's also a key line that's buried here that we cannot miss. And it says, their plowmen plowed furrows down my back. So an agricultural society is saying they're just oppressing the people, probably with taxation, probably with um, uh, inequitable laws, probably with people who used to own land and are now left to be day laborers on what used to be their farms. And it says, they ripped the harnesses of evil men, evil plowmen to shreds. See, the, re the reference is to being plowed over. Many in our society today have, feel, have felt like they've been plowed over with not the same opportunity. And that's real. Have you ever felt passed over? Have you ever felt plowed under? Have you ever felt like you've been given a raw deal or treated unjustly? There's a kind of outrage like life is not fair. Most of us have. Some have had it more. But this is largely, tragically, a normal part of life. And so the point is this, perseverance is needed when, because struggle is present. Now, what's so beautiful and super important about this verse, is that a committed worshiper of God is persevering to realize that eventually there's no more hurting. Did you catch that? In this verse, the oxen are still trampling uh, the plowmen to shreds, but God has ripped the harnesses to shreds. So it's not like somehow it became a just system. Somehow it became easy living. It says that God ripped the harnesses to shreds, even though it was still being plowed over. Have you ever felt a reprieve while the circumstances didn't actually change? Have you ever had to overcome difficult people even though they remained in your life? This is what this verse, this passage is celebrating. It's a picture of a living hope 
and a transformational faith that doesn't necessarily make life easier, but it sustains us. Then he goes on to say this, and this is kind of verses five through eight. Oh, let all of those who hate Zion grovel in humiliation. Those of people who hate the people of God, humiliate them, Lord. And I don't know about you, I've wanted to pray, maybe probably have prayed those kind of prayers. But you can see the kind of tender emotion coming out of this as they declare, he says, let them be like grass and shallow ground. That withers before the harvest, before the farmhands can gather it in, the harvesters get in the crop. Before the neighbors have a chance to call out, congratulations on your wonderful crop, we bless you in God's name. Do you see what he's getting at here? So the first thing that we point out uh, out of this passage is that there's just simply no growth without perseverance. You just can't have any kind of faith or spiritual, even character growth without effort and perseverance. But the second thing we see is there's no perseverance without roots. He's talking about grass that has no depth. It's talking about being trampled over. It's talking about no roots. And so the only way that we can persevere with a living hope is we're actively and consistently sinking our roots deeper. Now, Palestine is a rocky country. Only a thin layer of topsoil over bedrock. Seeds would sprout and grow, uh, but none of the grass would last because the thin soil could never support it. What it's describing is the opposition to the people of faith is like grass in a shallow ground. Eugene Peterson, in, in his book, Long Obedience in the Same Direction, he's talking about discipleship. And he says these words, the way of the world is brief enthusiasms. Like the grass on a half inch of topsoil, the way of the world is marked by proud, God-defying purposes unharnessed from eternity and therefore worthless and futile. So here's the question that we get left with. What am I rooting my life in? Is it rooted in eternity or in circumstance? Is it rooted in hope in the God's word, God's truth, or is it rooted in daily urges, feelings, and fads? That's something that was convicting me this week. As I wrestle with the same emotions you do, as, as I'm kind of worn out by the nature of, of quarantine and, 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 and kind of a doom and gloom media message, do you believe that God sticks with us? Do you believe that God sticks with you through thick and thin? Regardless of how we feel, God establishes a personal relationship with each and every one of us, and he stays with it. The central reality for Christians is personal, unalterable, persevering commitment of God that he makes to us. So perseverance, let me just clear the air is not the result of simply our determination. It's the result of God's faithfulness. So your faith survives not because we have extraordinary stamina or luck, but it's because God is righteous and because God sticks with us. Christian discipleship is a process of paying more and more attention to God's righteousness and less and less attention to our own. 
it's not just the result of our own determination. Going back to this story about Richard Branson, I'll just kind of wrap up with this and I want to show you a quick video um, and then we'll go into a time of communion. But Richard F Branson, who had started all these companies and he's a billionaire, he was reflecting on how he got the start, how he ended up going from record sales and a label and, and signing all these artists to starting an airline. And he tells this tale um, about, which kind of captures his entire entrepreneurial approach to business and life. And he said, I was in my late 20s and I was headed um, to the British Virgin Islands and I had um, a very pretty girl that was waiting on me. And so I was, um, I was determined to get there. And so he had this kind of stick to this sort of perseverance in his DNA to overcome, right? But at the airport, my flight was canceled because of maintenance or something. And it happened to be the last flight out of the night. Well, being motivated, maybe by, by less than spiritual means, uh, he says, I thought this uh, was sounded ridiculous, but I went and I chartered a private jet. I took this private airplane to take me to the Virgin Islands and then I went to the, but I didn't have it, the money to do it. So I kind of put down a card and, and kind of leveraged myself to the point and I went to all the people who were supposed to be on that same flight and I just held up a sign that said, Virgin Islands, uh, Virgin Airlines, $29. And he sold out, uh, the whole airline to pay for the rest of the seats on the plane and he used the money to pay for the whole chartered flight and he says that night we all went to the virgin islands i love that story you got to give him credit for being persevering right but what we learn is that there is no growth without perseverance and perseverance um, needs to be rooted i believe in something eternal See, to me, this felt true of my faith in Christ. And what I would simply suggest to us is, what if faithfulness was the new success? What if we were just growingly more faithful to trust God, even in uncertainty and adversity? See, perseverance does not mean perfection. It means that we keep going. We don't quit when we find that we're not yet mature or that there's still a long journey ahead of us. Perseverance is also not resignation. Putting up with things just simply because that's the way they are. We don't quit when we find ourselves just in the same old rut year and year again. Endurance is just simply not a hanging on. It's, it's God's peace. It's God's comfort. It's God's provision, even in the midst of the struggle. And we move forward because of the hope we have. And I just wonder, do you have that life-changing hope? I have a very grainy one-minute video that I want us to watch. And in this video, a missionary in China has smuggled in Bibles in a suitcase. And a group of house Christians in a church in China, like a tribe meeting in secrecy, discover Bibles, their own Bible for the very first time. And when I saw this, it humbled me because I have 
many Bibles on my shelf, and I try and read them all the time. But it's convicting to see how cherished the Word of God is. When you face adversity, how it has totally strengthened and created this sort of revival explosion of the church in China because they're facing direct opposition. Let's just take a minute to watch this video, and then I'm going to turn it over to Damaris as he leads us all in a time of communion. Wow. To be able to encounter the word of God that way, right? To, to be able to experience uh, the gift, the hope, the promise of God's word. What kind of hope do we have? And hopefully we find ourselves rooted in, in, in the truth of God's word. Let's, let's just take a time now where we go to the Lord in communion. And Damaris, I'd just like to defer to you as you guide us through this time. <laughs> 